We are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much. It's so good to uh, be together. And I just love coming and worshipping God as a, as a family. I'm kind of just going to move around a little bit, if that's all right. And um, yeah, as, uh, as Phil said, my name's Chris. And uh, I'm married to Catherine. We've got two girls, Talia and Naya, who are five and three. And uh, if, you're, if you're new here at Centrepoint, then I just want to say you're so welcome. It's so good for you to be here today. And you're in good company, because I'm new too. And uh, this is my first, first day here as well. And it's just, just great to be together. And you know, at Centrepoint, we, we do believe that Jesus is at the centre of everything. And so he's at the centre of, of our giving, of our worship, of our just family time together, uh, which is why we love to do things like be part of commission and go to West Point. It's so good to, to hear from Sarah there. And it's good to get like, to know so many people at West Point. And um, I would, yeah, I do want to just add my encouragement to you for that. Um, because when we go to West Point and we, we hear apostolic vision and encouragement, it affects the way we do church here in Guildford. And uh, on that Wednesday evening, the 19th, I want to share with you all some things that me and the, the elders have been talking through. And I want to share with you what, what we feel that God's put on our heart for this year. So I just want to encourage you to, to make that a priority. It'd be great if every family could be represented there. You know, we recognise we've got young kids that sometimes it's hard to get babysitters. But if every family could be represented there, that would be excellent because then you can share the news with, with the rest of your family well. So that's the 19th. Um, this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to be speaking from, I don't know my PowerPoint where that is, but I'm going to be speaking from Revelation chapter 4. Uh, so you can get that out ready uh, when, yeah, and uh, we'll get there in a moment. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, if you haven't got the, uh, an app with the Bible on, then uh, don't worry, the words will appear on the screen for you. Um, but yeah, just before we get there, I don't know... You know, it might be this morning, it's your first time to church, you've never been here before. Uh, it might be you've been to church loads of times in the past. And you, it's possible to get to the point where you ask yourself, why do I bother? What is the point in the church? Uh, you might have had a month off of church over August and, and think, oh, this is quite nice. Having my Sunday, having barbecues, go shopping. You, you might have... Um, been at West Point and seen other churches and think, well, why are we not like that? And you might think, well, what's, what's the point in our church? Why do we bother doing the things that we do? It might be that um, you, I don't know, maybe you just think that the church is like the, the last place in the world that you'd ever want to be. And one in a cinema. I mean, that's just weird. Like, why would you do that? You, you might be thinking, well, I've been part of church for a long time and everything seems to change. Sometimes friends move on and this is hard work. You might have got to the point where, oh, I've just got to know the leaders and now they've left and now there's this new guy here. Like, what's that about? You might have all sorts of questions about church and what's it all about. And it's really possible to get disillusioned with church. It's possible to get disillusioned with God. And then when moments of trial and trouble come, it just exacerbates the problem. And so even the kind of nice person sitting next to you just gets annoying. And it's possible to get to the point where you're just thinking, what is the point? Why do I bother? 
Well, over these next two weeks, uh, I want to talk a little bit about why I love the bride and groom. And when I talk about the bride and groom, really what I mean is the church and Jesus. Uh, the, the Bible starts with a marriage with Adam and Eve. It also ends with a marriage and talks about Jesus and his, his bride, the church. And so the, we're just going to do a, like a mini-series, two weeks, where we have a look at uh, these, these two things, the church and Jesus. So this week, it's the church, why, why I love the bride. And um, then after that, we're going to go into a series on 1 Corinthians where we're going to be looking at church as God intended. So if you like to read ahead this week, so next week will be Revelation chapter 5 and then after that we'll be in 1 Corinthians. Um, so invariably, when you talk about someone, it's hard not to talk about their family or if you talk about a married person it's hard not to talk about their spouse so it's quite hard when I come to talk about the church to not talk about Jesus and so I will mention Jesus a few times today but most of that will be next week and uh, yeah most of today will be about the church and what I want to do is I want to have a look at the book of Revelation because Revelation is great encouragement and so really this morning you can take a deep breath do it let's do it together breathe in this morning's talk is not necessarily about challenge or, um, I don't know, getting you to step up to do more. It's just about looking, taking a step back, looking at what God's view is on himself, on the church, on Centrepoint and on our lives. And uh, that's what we're going to do. Take a step back from all the rotors, all the stress, all the anxiety. And Revelation is a book which often is misunderstood. It's a book where either Christians don't read it because it's just weird and we don't want to go there, or they do read it and come up with all sorts of wacky ideas with what it means because, frankly, it can be confusing. But Revelation itself, at the beginning of chapter 1, says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written, because the time is near. So right at the beginning, Jesus lays out a vision to John. John writes it down. That's where we get this book of Revelation. And we are encouraged that this is a book of encouragement. And as we read it and hear it, we should be blessed. In fact, the word revelation just, it kind of means apocalyptic, which is in Greek, it's the first word of the book. That's where that word comes from. And uh, we're meant to read it. And to be honest, if we get to the end of Revelation and we're confused or we're, we're not encouraged, then we've kind of missed it. Because we should come to the end and be lost in awe and wonder how amazing God is. And so Revelation is, is written in a style called apocalyptic writing. And biblical apocalyptic writing is confusing because it just doesn't exist today. We don't really have it. We don't kind of have any literature that's like it. We have poetry, we have narrative, we have his history, but we don't really have apocalyptic writing. Uh, I, I suppose the closest thing to it would be like comic books, where you, where you get lots of different characters that represent things and they're all like weird and big and kind of not really like nature around us. But uh, yeah, we don't have it anymore. But it's meant to be three things. The first thing is it's meant to be encouraging, as I've already mentioned. And we should come away from it amazed at how amazing God is. It's symbolic, which means that um, 
when we read about dragons and horns and numbers, they're not literal, but they're symbolic of things. And when it was written, everyone would have known exactly what they mean. But now we have to do a little bit of work to find out. And so I'll explain some of the things as we go along. And then it's also prophetic. And so prophecy is not always just about pointing us forward, but also prophecy explains to us past events. Prophecy can also sometimes tell us the nature of present situations. And so as well as encouragement for the future, this this book kind of does quite a lot and it's encouraging and glorious. So we're going to read chapter four. There are some symbols in it, so let me just give you a few symbols then. I promise you we'll get to reading it. Um, So some of the symbols that come up, one of them is precious stones. Does anyone know what precious stones represent in Revelation? It's not the church. Precious stones kind of represent radiance and glory. And so when God is described as topaz or ruby or emerald, it's not that he's, someone's describing him as a stone. There's a stone on the throne. No, it's not that. It's his radiance and glory, his magnificence. Um, there's, there's no, so that will come up. There's numbers as well. Does anyone know what the number seven means? Wholeness, yeah perfection, fullness, good, completeness. That's great, yep. So when we read about the seven spirits of God, that's not saying that God has seven spirits, like one spirit for joy and one spirit for this. No, what it means is the the Holy Spirit in all its fullness going out to the ends of the world. So when we read about the seven spirits of God, which will come up in our passage, that's what it's talking about, the Holy Spirit in all its fullness at work. Uh, What about number four? Anyone know four? Any guesses? What, Catherine? Oh, I don't know. Like ends of the earth. It's like the earth. Yeah, ends, yeah, yeah, good. Earth is good. It's all of like earthly creation. And so if you read about like the four horsemen going to the ends of the earth, it's, it's just talking about the whole of creation, the, the whole of the world. If you read about four living creatures, in your mind, straight away, you should be thinking all of earthly creation, like all, all the different animals in the world. Um, if you read about the four corners of the earth, that's what it's talking about. It's just representing the whole earth, all of creation in its fullness. What about 24? Hey? Elders. The elders. And the tribes. The tri- yeah, elders and the tribes. And that points to? Yeah, the church in Israel. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So, uh, oops, I did something. Oh, okay. 24 represents all of God's people... B.C. and A.D. So um, 12, it's really made up of two sets of 12. So you've got 12 and 12. 12 is all the people that, be, that trusted God, put their trust in God before Jesus was born. All of B.C. history. And that's generally represented by the 12 tribes of Israel. It's everyone that's put their trust in God before Jesus. And then the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, they represent all the people that have put their trust in Jesus after since he's been born, uh, into the future. And so when you read about, say, 24 thrones, then it's not literally 24 thrones. What it is, is it's all the people of God, BC and AD, all together coming uh, to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Revelation 21 puts these things quite well. And it says this, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is another representation of the church, of God's people. Coming down out of heaven from God, 
It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear and crystal. So this is a picture of the church being presented as a glorious bride. So everyone who's put their trust in Jesus, BC and AD, coming in in radiance. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, all the people that put their trust in God, BC. The wall of the city also had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. All the people that have put their trust in God, AD. So who is the church? It's everyone that's ever put their trust in Jesus, or in God, BC and AD, fullness together. And this is God's glorious church, shining in all its radiance, every person that's ever put their trust in him. And uh, last number, what about a thousand? <laughs> it is a long time. It's also complete or completeness, a bit like seven. And so um, this is, I'm giving you this one for free this morning. It's always good to have a freebie because a thousand doesn't come up. But um, the reason why is because, because we're just digging into Revelation this week and next week. Sometimes you'll hear uh, in chapter seven, there's a reference to the 144,000. Um, have you heard about this? And so... Uh, Again, people can get themselves tied up in all sorts of knots because they're trying to think literally. And uh, even you might get Jehovah's Witnesses that say, oh, there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven because they're going for a literal number. And so some people, you know, you might even hear people say, Christians say, oh, are you part of the 144? And it's because they, they they don't really understand the apocalyptic writing. And so the mainstream evangelical view, which is what I'm presenting here today, is that this 144,000 is made up of 12 times 12 times 1,000. All of God's people in BC history, times all of God's people in AD history, together in all their completeness, times 1,000, worshipping God. That's what chapter 7 is about. Everyone who's ever put their trust, no one excluded, no one needs to be afraid. Everyone who's put their trust in Jesus or in God shall be saved and it is good news. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, so that was the numbers and there's one more um, that is worth having and that's C. C means division. And uh, so if you're a surfer here today, don't worry. It's not that there's not going to be any sea in heaven because in Revelation chapter 21 it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Well, sea, um, it just means divisional war. And what that means is that when, uh, when uh, Jesus returns, this revelation is explaining that Uh, when all the people come together, all the tribes, tongues, nationalities, when he says there'll no longer be any sea, he's saying there'll no longer be any war or strife or division between people groups. Uh, There'll be peace made between them. And so um, the the same kind of works in the opposite direction. So in the passage we're about to read, it will talk about how there is a sea of glass around the throne. And what that is representing is that God, who is holy, is different from mankind and from the rest of creation and uh, often you'll see the words and that sea of glass is crystal clear and what it is representing is that God's holiness and his judgment is is separate from people and that is crystal clear to see when God gives a judgment it is transparent and no one will worry that that is it's not 
okay or it's not just. Everyone will be clear, it will be clear to see that he is holy and good and righteous and any division between God and man is one that is just and good. How's that? Bit of a, bit of a lesson this morning, but that's okay. Are you ready to read the chapter? Yes, yes you are, because it's 5 to 11. So chapter 4, uh, verse 1, it says this, After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard, that's the, the voice I'd heard from chapter 1, which is Jesus speaking to John, speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you must, what must soon take place. So John's having a vision and he's describing what's going on. Jesus is speaking to him. And it says, at once I was in the Spirit. So notice you've got Jesus speaking to him and at once he's in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there. And the before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, glorious. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. This is the radiant presence of God. So you've got Jesus, the Spirit and God all there in this picture. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were the 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Remember, this is the church, holy nation, God's people, everyone dressed in white, sins washed away crowns of gold radiating God's glory. From the throne came flashings of lightning, rumbles and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. What are they? Well, these are the seven spirits of God. This is the Holy Spirit in all its power and wonder. Also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear of crystal. In the centre of the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with their eyes in front and back. And the living creatures was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying uh, eagle. Each of the four living creatures, remember this is all of earthly creation. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. Wow, what a passage. What a passage. And as we read it in its context, we just see how amazing it is. This, uh, as I read this passage, if you take it a sweepstake before this meeting and you knew I was preaching about the church, you probably wouldn't have chosen this passage. But uh, I believe this is one that shows the church in all its glory. And so there's four things that uh, I'm just going to pull out of this Revelation chapter 4. And the first one is about reality. It starts with Jesus revealing a vision to John. And he says, come up here and I will show you what must first take place. And it says, at once he was in the spirit. And there before me was this throne and someone was sitting on it. You know what? God is on the throne. There is a reality to that. It's not random chaos. It's not money or fame. It's not a politician. It's not a, some other person, but it's God. The reality is that God is on the throne and Jesus tells John to look and he's there in the spirit. He sees someone there and uh, it's, there's a, this moment where the Trinity are all at work revealing this to John. 
Verse 3 even tells us that he's there dwelling in radiant majesty. Verse 5 tells us about how he is powerful. It's not some fluffy God who is kind of this kind of naked bearded man on a cloud. No, no, there is awe and power and majesty and there's thunder and lightning and, and this, is a, this is a powerful scene. And in verse 6, it says, in front of the throne is what looked like this sea of glass. There is a reality that having created the world, God has every right to judge it because he is holy. And this might sound quite stark, but throughout the Bible, God is depicted as a king on the throne, but he's also depicted as a judge on the throne. And he will judge the living and the dead, and he will give an accurate assessment of it. And no one will be able to accuse God of doing anything wrong. In fact, right at the beginning in Numbers 23, it says, who is God that he should lie? He is not like man that he should need to repent. No one will be able to accuse God of being unfair, unjust, unwilling, and that will be crystal clear for everyone to see. There's a reality to this. In front of the throne, there's this thing that looked like a sea of glass, and we are not God's. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater and different to our thoughts. And so the reality is, is that this day might be a day to fear for people who don't know God. And that's, that's quite hard. might be a day to fear. All your thought, imagine if I displayed on this cinema screen all your thoughts, all your actions, all the things that you've ever done in your life. There's this day where that's going to happen and God will judge, in his holiness, your, that, that thing that happens, what is shown, will be judged against God's holiness against God's standard not against my standard because you'll fall short of mine trust me I mean I'm down here compared to you but there is a day where we'll be judged against God's holiness and sometimes what people say therefore is that you need to do lots of good things you need to follow the rules you need to follow the rituals and it's possible for churches to go down that route you know but that's not what we are encouraged to do through the bible through this it's not about try, somehow trying to outdo your wrongs to get right with God. That's impossible to do. He is way too holy for that. It's not about trying to appease a vengeful God. He, he is holy, but he is also faithful and just. And so the second thing we see is not just the fact that there's a reality that he is on the throne. We also see amazing redemption. There is redemption to be found in God. So verse 4, it says, surrounding the throne were these 24 elders and they were all dressed in white with crowns of gold. Although God is on the throne, holy and just, we see in this vision there is a large group of people that are all there also. Everyone who has put their trust in God, AD and BC, standing there, are dressed in white. Why? Because they've been redeemed. Not by what they have done, but by who they have trusted in. They are not dressed in white because they've done lots of good things or good deeds or they've read their Bible every day or they've prayed a million prayers every day. No, they are there because they have been redeemed. They are dressed in white and those robes are given to them by Jesus. How does that happen? It's when they come before the Jesus who is the king of kings over all things and they repent. They say, I'm sorry for messing up. I want to put my trust in you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he, he took our sin and our shame and he nailed it to the cross, no longer against us, and so that we are then presented as part of this bride, spotless and white. I was reminded about how in the Old Testament, once a year, in the, in the Old Testament, so in BC history, um, 
the Holy Spirit kind of wasn't active in a, in a sense for everyone just to, to receive. And so what would happen is that once a year, the priest would go into a place called the Holy of Holies, which was in a part of the temple inside, and it was covered by this, this veil. And once a year, he could go in there and he would meet with God. And he would present like requests to God on behalf of the people. And having met with God, he would go and reveal God's will for the people to them. But this could only happen once a year, and it was all a big fanfare, and sacrifice went on. And I was just reminded the other day as I was reading the Bible that when Jesus died on the cross, there was this moment where this holy of holies place, the veil, the curtain was completely torn in two. Jesus died. He says, it is finished. And uh, the Holy Spirit is pulled out. And we read in Joel how the Spirit is given so that young men will have dreams and old men will have visions and, and all the other way around. And... Um, now we, we come into, we're, we're really blessed by living in uh, AD, AD history because now we, we get to the point where anyone can come into God's presence. You don't need a, a great high priest to go into God's presence once a year on your behalf. No, anyone can have access to the Father. The message of God's people to the world, right from the very start of Genesis all the way through, is that there is redemption to be found uh, through God. No one is ever too far away from God to have their sins forgiven. Everyone can be included in this celebration. It's not just 144,000 people. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus can know him. And then he sends his spirit to guide us. And, you know, often we can find, you know, churches try, that they feel that their job is to make people in their own image. You know what? I love the church because our job isn't to do that. Our job is to point people to God and show them that they're made in his image. And so we encourage them to, to get to know God and to love him and to live for him. And through his spirit, he will change and transform people along their journey of faith as they are ready. And so we encourage people to, to love God, to get to know him. And so everyone is welcome. No one is excluded. Anyone can come here on a Sunday morning and I pray that they will be blessed. And it's not to... Uh, this gospel mandate is a message that no other organisation has. No, there's really good things going on out there. The NHS, education, uh, there's lots of really great charities. There's lots of just brilliant things going on in our world. Like lots of really good politicians doing lots of good things. None of them have the message of the gospel. It's only the church. That's why I love the church. That's why I want to belong to a church and give my all to a church. This is why I go to church on a Sunday morning rather than down the beach because I know that this is where God would have me be because he called me a part of a holy people, set apart, where all of us, we, we don't come uh, trying to like scrub up and do the best we can and try to look the best we can, although, you know, I try my best. <laughs> we, uh, no, no, we all come together, all in our sin and our shame, but we recognise we're a forgiven people and we come to bed welcoming anyone else, everyone, to come and get to know this amazing God who reveals forgiveness. There is a reality that this vision is one of a holy, majestic, powerful God on the throne. And, but there's also a reality that there's a redeemed people of God, chosen, forgiven, set free, praising his name. And of course, therefore, we would then see rejoicing. There will be rejoicing. And so in, verse, in the second part of verse 6 and 7, it says, In the centre around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered in eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third was like a, a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. 
all of creation here, we have singing his praises. We're going to read verse 8 in a minute where it tells us like what they're saying. Um, but remember, I, I mentioned about four is all of earthly creation. So the four animals is representing all of the earthly creation coming together and worshipping this God who's on the throne. But also these four animals represent something too. So the lion represents all the wild animals. The ox represents all the domestic animals. The eagle represents all the birds of the air. And the man represents all of mankind, men and women together. And so we've got this picture of everyone rejoicing. And what does it say? It says, day and... Oh, sorry, I didn't put that up earlier. Day and night they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When that happens, it then goes on and we read about how the 24 elders, so all of the church, so we've got all of creation worshipping saying holy and then we have the whole of the church coming together God's people BC and AD bowing down to worship him singing his praises and um, they're coming together and so what this just shows me is that church should be a good place to be should be a place of joy and fun and, and laughter should be a place where we all try to grow and flourish in our giftings and we help one another it's a place where we lift each other up and we help each other through challenging and, and trials and uh, challenging times and trials Anyone from our community who doesn't, who perhaps maybe never been to church before, should think of church and think, oh, you know what, I'd love to go there. When they're going through a tough time, they shouldn't think, oh, I don't want to go there because I'm just going to be judged because I made this decision or that decision. No, actually, it should be a place where, oh, no, if I go there, if I go to Centrepoint on Sunday morning, I'm going to be loved and cherished and people are going to invite me in and I'm going to be welcomed. And that's why I love, I love church. That's why I love being part of who we are, people where there is hope for those who are hope, have hopelessness. There is joy for those who are, are weeping or mourning. There is identity for those who maybe have lost their way a little bit. And so there's this reality that God is on the throne. There's this redeemed people. There's uh, all of creation coming together with, with all of God's church worshipping uh, the throne. And then there's reverence. Verse 9 to 11, it says this. When the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks. Sorry, a bit behind. Um, give thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns down before the throne. They say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created. And here there is reverence. Can you see that there is this laying down of crowns? There's this complete trust in God that he is good, and he is in control, that he is worthy of all that we are, and he is worthy to receive everything that we have, our lives, our relationship, our, our finances, our, our skills, our talents, our efforts, our very best. He is worthy of it all. And there are so many things in this world that kind of vie for our attention. Netflix, uh, I don't know, money, fame, wealth, Facebook, status, new cars, all of these things take up our time, and, and mostly they're all good, but... In the end, the only thing that is worthy of our praise, worthy of our time or our attention is God. You know, when I was 17 years old, I was completely lost in this world. I was uh, just going my own way, running after all the things of this life. I was in a complete mess. There's one night I was in jail. There's all sorts of things going wrong in my life. And someone started off by just having a conversation with me and saying, why don't you come along to church one day? Why don't you come to this Alpha course? Why don't you come to this? It was a small seed. And I went along because it was a girl and I fancied her. <laughs> you know, it's okay. 
I was going to say flirt to convert, but don't do that. Don't do that. That's rubbish. Anyway, they introduced me to the church. The church introduced me to Jesus, and then my whole life has completely changed. And I know that's the same for many people all, around, away, all the way around this room, people that have found hope in these hopeless situations. And, you know, that's why all creation sings, you are worthy. God is so worthy, isn't he, of everything. And he's worthy of our reverence because he's just amazing and majestic. So should you bother with church? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to encourage you to, to do that. Because there will be a day where there will be no more sickness or dying or death or disease. There will be a day where there's no more worries about our social status or our bank balance or, or concern for the things of this life. There will be a day where we're there before God, worshipping and bowing down and giving him all the praise and the glory. God is not some wet, sloppy fish that can kind of be manipulated, that you can argue against, that you can have any ground to accuse him of wrongdoing. No, he is holy and that is crystal clear. It's the reality. He is a judge that judges rightly for all to see. And he sits on the throne. It's not death or disease or random chaos theory. It's not money or fame. It's not Satan. It's not darkness. It's glory. And it's God on his throne. God is restoring and redeeming a people. That, and this is good news. And there's joy and rejoicing. And it's amazing to see that we get to see this glimpse of it even now this morning in the church as we worship together, as, as we hear God's word. We get to see a glimpse of what, that, what it means to be in glory with God. And so when you're sitting around and you're just kind of wondering, well, is it all worth it? Should I bother? I want to encourage you, yes. Yes, bother. Because there's many people out there in Guildford that don't know. They don't have hope. And we have this amazing message of the gospel to share with people, to invite them in. It starts with small seeds. It starts with something little. Why don't you just, I don't know, have a cup of tea and invite some of your neighbours around. Hey, you never know where your conversations might lead. Why do I love the church? Because for some reason, God in his infinite wisdom chose to use people like me and you to share this message of the gospel. So maybe we can get the band back up. Um, why don't you come up and start to play? I think that uh, it would be really good for us to respond. And we're going to do that by, uh, I guess, mainly by having communion, which Phil's going to lead us through in a moment. Um, and that's really good, isn't it? It's good for us to celebrate all that Jesus has done. Before we do... I just want us to take a moment. I want to give you some time just to do business with God. Because it might be, perhaps, perhaps you've given up hope. You might have been part of Centrepoint for a long, long time. And you might have seen all sorts of different changes. And sometimes you, it's possible to get disheartened. It might be that you, maybe you've never been to church before. And you're, you're just wondering what all this is about. Well, you know, this is a moment for you just to, just to do business with God. You can talk to him. You can say, God, can you reveal yourself to me? And he will do that. We're going to be looking into chapter 5 next week, but Jesus is alive today as well. And he works through his Holy Spirit, and he wants to meet you too. So why don't we all stand? He's just standing with me. Just in whatever way you feel comfortable, why don't you just open your, your heart out to God? You might just in your... You know, in your heart, in your mind, just invite him to come and meet with you. Just say, Lord, I'm here. Will you come and speak to me? You know, he knows every thought or every word on your tongue before you even say it. He knows what you need. 
sometimes it's good just to ask him anyway. Say, Lord, I invite you into my life again. Father God, I just want to pray for every one of us around this room. Lord, you know the, the journey we're on. You know where we are right now. I just pray, Lord God, would you reveal yourself to us, Lord, in this moment. Lord, we want to repent and we, we say sorry for those, those things in our life that perhaps aren't quite right. We, we come before you, God. You are holy and we say sorry, Lord. But Father, we thank you that you you are able to forgive. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus on the cross to die so that when we put our trust in him, all our sin and our shame is placed on the cross with him and dies with him and all his joy and love and peace can, we can receive as our own. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us, that we are made right with you, dressed in white, clothed in righteousness, not by our own efforts but by your wonder and majesty by all that you did when you rose again from the dead dead we just commit our lives to you again lord we say have your way with us i just ask holy spirit we just come and just fill this room just move amongst us now i pray for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.